For the last several months, we've been marching our way through the book of Galatians, understanding that there is no other gospel uh, than what uh, God has proclaimed to us in his word. And this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 20 of Galatians chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and through my condition, though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Jesus Christ. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am with, present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you." This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. If you would, please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. As I begin, I'm just going to go ahead and apologize right now. Um, that's always a great way to start, right? Um, uh, it's going to get a little awkward in about two minutes because uh, I might be a, just a puddle of tears and uh, a weepy mess. Uh, you haven't seen that side of me really yet, uh, but you may see it this morning, so I'm just going to warn you. So, uh, it was January 20, 2000. It's already starting. <laughs> January 20, 2011. A mother left her one-month-old daughter on the steps of a police station in a small town in central China. There was a search for the girl's parents, but it came up empty. And she was then placed in an orphanage where they did take good care of her. But besides being abandoned, this girl had another problem. She had a heart defect. She would need open-heart surgery by the time she was one to repair the defect in her heart. 
And nearly 18 months after she first arrived in the orphanage, a day came when she was placed in the hands of strangers, a man and a woman whom she had never met. Now, affectionately, one year later, she refers to these strangers as mommy and daddy. You see, tomorrow marks the one-year anniversary of the day when our sweet little Maddie Grace was placed in our arms for the very first time there in China. Since then, Maddie Grace has made tremendous progress. Um, Her heart defect appears to be healed, and it shouldn't be an issue for her as she grows older. When we first got her, uh, she wasn't speaking, uh, which was not abnormal. Uh, And now, thankfully, her language skills are progressing. Uh, She is understanding English well after hearing Chinese for the first 18 months of her life. Um, And she is uh, able to speak with relative clarity, which is uh, a huge uh, improvement. Uh, Life isn't always easy, though. I mean, she is two and a half years old. (laughs) Um, And since we missed the first 18 months of her life, there are some things um, that just make life difficult sometimes. But she is a joy and a pleasure. She is our daughter. And she is now something that she probably never would have been or had the opportunity to be in China. She is a she's a sister. And um, she probably would have never had the opportunity to be an older sister based on China's policies, their one-child policy. But here she is in a family of six now. Now, there are a lot of questions about Maddie Grace's past that we have. And thank you for bearing with me as I got through that. That was not easy. Um, But there's a lot of questions that we have about Maddie Grace's past that we probably will never have the answers to. Like, who are her parents? Uh, Who is her mother? Um, Why did they give her up? Um, Did they know that she had this heart defect? Is this why uh, they decided to leave her on the steps of the police station? Uh, Where are they now? Uh, Are they alive? Um, What are they doing? Do they think... Do they think about her? Could they ever imagine that their little daughter uh, would end up in the United States, much less in central Arkansas? I'm sure they had no idea. But uh, there are also a lot of questions that Stephanie and I have as we look towards the future. Uh, Questions that we know that she probably will have. Um, How will she react when she does realize that she was adopted? Uh, What is she going to want to know about her past? Is she going to want to know who her parents were? Is she going to want to to go back to China? What will her interest in China really be? Uh, Will will she want to see where she was born? Um, Will she want to find her parents or her relatives? Um, 
What, how is she going to react to that? But there is one thing that I'm fairly certain uh, that the question that she may have that I'm fairly certain I know the answer to. And that goes along with what we read this morning as we're going through the book of Galatians. The question is, will she ever want to go back and live in the orphanage? And I know the answer to that, and I'm very confident that that is a no. It's not because Stephanie and I are the greatest parents in the world. We struggle. Um, but after leaving the orphanage, coming from a place where, where she had nothing, and now having a family, uh, a mother and a father who love her, would she want to return to that? No, of course not. You see, at this point in Galatians, as we're marching through here and we get to the fourth chapter, Paul is shocked at this point in his letter. He never, ever imagined that the Galatians would do what they are doing right now. They're turning their backs on their adoption and returning to live like orphans and like slaves. And Paul implores the Galatians to leave their past behind. And live as they really are, as sons of God. You see, because we are now sons and no longer slaves, because we are sons and no longer orphans, we should continue to live as sons. I have three points for us this morning. Uh, Because we are sons and no longer slaves, we shouldn't fall back into the things that we were rescued from or rescued out of. Because we are sons and no longer slaves, we should now preach the gospel by becoming all things to all people. And because we are sons and no longer slaves, we should desire to see Christ formed in the lives of others. So first of all, because we are sons and no longer slaves, we shouldn't fall back into the things that we were rescued out of. Because we are sons and no longer slaves... We have been adopted into God's family. As Bradford eloquently pointed out to us last week, this incredible thing happens to us when we put our faith in Christ. At the point of our conversion, we are justified. And we've been going through that over the last several weeks. We have been justified through faith in Christ. When once we were guilty, now we have been declared innocent because of the blood of Jesus. But that's not all that happens to us. We are also given a new identity. Previously, we were orphans and we were slaves to sin. But through Christ, we have been adopted into God's family as sons. Uh, Stephanie and I, as we have gone through this process with Maddie Grace, this adoption process, it has certainly opened up our eyes to the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of our adoption in Christ. But I can honestly admit that most of the time I don't fully grasp the greatness uh, of what it means to be adopted into God's family. But because we are adopted into God's family as sons, Because of our adoption, we have certain privileges that are now ours in Christ. And one of them is assurance of knowing God and being known by God. In fact, we don't even have to refer to him necessarily as God. We can now refer to him as our Father. 
we can know the kindness and the tenderness and the love that God has for us as a father. In the case of Maddie Grace, she now gets to experience the love, the love of a mother and a father, of a mommy and a daddy. She can have confidence knowing that as long as mom and daddy, mommy and daddy are alive, we will love her and we will care for her. We will never leave her or abandon her. The same is true for us with our Heavenly Father. We can be assured of His love that He has for us that will never leave us or forsake us. He loves us. Not only do we have this assurance of His love, of being known by Him, but we are also an heir. Because of our adoption into God's family, we are now heirs of God. You see, when Maddie Grace was placed on the steps of that police station in central China, in her hometown, she not only lost her family, but she lost everything else. She had nothing. But now, she is my daughter. She has access to everything that is mine. And when I die, she will receive an inheritance. Now, granted, I'm sorry, Maddie Grace, it's not going to be much. Okay? (laughs) But it will be something, because she is an heir. And the same is true with us in our adoption. Through our adoption, we are now heirs of God. We have access to everything that is His. And in the end we will receive this inheritance that God has prepared for us. Eternal life with Him. We will live forever with Him in a new heavens, in a new earth. Where there will be no more tears, no more sickness, no more pain, no more death, no more car accidents, no more cancer, no more suffering. This is why Paul is simply flabbergasted. He is beside himself on why the Galatians are doing what they are doing with these privileges that they have and so much more because of their adoption into Christ. Why in the world are the Galatians doing what they are doing? Why would they simply do this? Through their faith in Christ, they've been adopted. They are heirs, but suddenly they're living like they're orphans again. They're living like they're slaves How crazy would it be for Maddie Grace to one day declare, you know what, Mommy, Daddy, it's been nice living with you guys, but I don't want a family anymore. I think it would be better if I went and lived in the orphanage again. That's, it's it's crazy. It is mind-boggling. Why would anyone do that? Yet this is exactly what the Galatians are doing. And Paul is practically begging them to leave their former life behind and act as the sons that they truly are. In fact, he's he's pleading with them to act like a son of God, like he is acting. These are bold words from Paul when he says, "I, I entreat you, become as I am. But he can say this not because he is the perfect model. We know that that model is Christ. 
is because he is painstakingly seeking to live his life for the glory of God, knowing that he is the greatest of sinners. You see, Paul knows that the life of a Christian changes drastically when we become a Christian. He wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, that he who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, behold, the new has come. What he's saying here is don't live your life like nothing is different, and especially don't go backwards. This is crazy. For those of you who are fans of the show Downton Abbey, uh, think of it this way. Uh, Tom Branson was a lowly servant in the household. He was the chauffeur. He was then raised up to the level of the aristocracy because he married Sybil, the daughter of Lord Grantham. And yes, Stephanie and I did watch Downton Abbey together, and I am a fan as well. But um, he moved up to this level of the aristocracy, and suddenly he went from being a servant to having a seat at the table. Why would he ever go back to playing the part of a servant again? He has been changed, and so have we through our adoption into Christ. What we need to do is move forward like Paul, he says, become as I am. Our lives should be markedly, decidedly different because of our faith in Christ. Our perspective is reoriented and our lives are changed. The passions of our hearts now are different and they desire the things of the Lord. So the question is, how do we act then? How do we do it? How do we act like the sons that we are called to be? Paul describes two ways in which we can act like sons. By preaching the gospel, by being all things to all people, and by desiring to see Christ formed in others. So Paul says, become like me. And what does Paul do? He becomes like the people that he is trying to reach. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, the, Paul describes his strategy for sharing the gospel and for reaching people. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. That I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings." You see, because we're sons of God, we're free. We have this inheritance from God. We can live life now in reckless abandon to the will of God because of our eternal status being secure. We are safe. Paul preached the gospel then by going on missionary journeys throughout the known world at that time. He preached to everyone that he met, and he planted churches in numerous cities. But what about us? So is that what we're supposed to do then? Should we all suddenly up and become missionaries? 
Uh, should we be like Tom and Karen? Should we be in New York City right now training to be going overseas? Uh, the answer is, if God has called you to that, then yes, that is what you need to be doing. Um, but God has not called everyone to foreign missions. If he is placing that on your heart, then yes, you need to do that. Because the gospel needs to reach the ends of the earth. But we also need to be preaching the gospel exactly where we are at. Uh, recently, I've been reading through a book uh, by David Platt. He is a preacher in Birmingham. Uh, I read through his book, Radical, uh, about two and a half years ago. Um, and it was at that point where I felt like God was calling us to adopt. Um, in God's providence, that was also uh, the time when Maddie Grace was abandoned by her parents. So since she was abandoned, we have been praying for her and going through the adoption process. But David Platt has written a book uh, called Follow Me, A Call to Die, A Call to Live. And he gives an example here of a man by the name of Luke who preached the gospel where he was. He tells this story about how Luke became a Christian in college and then after graduation, his Christianity really his career began to take off, but so did his faith. He, became, he began meditating and mesmerizing scripture and devoting himself to prayer and to sharing the gospel. In essence, his relationship with Christ became the most important thing in Luke's life. And he lived out his relationship even at work. And this is how David Platt describes one situation that Luke found himself in. Luke's business began to grow. And he was invited to give an address at his corporation's annual nationwide meeting. Though he was nervous, he knew that God had given him the opportunity to speak about Christ. And so he incorporated the gospel into different facets of his speech. At this point, when I was reading this, I was blown away. Like, did he really do that? After he finished, he sat down and a manager across the table said to him, Luke, I don't have a clue what you're talking about, but I want to know more. In response, Luke fully explained the gospel. Luke fully explained the gospel to his manager and everyone else listening in at the table. And when he was finished, Luke asked the manager, "Would you like to turn from your sin and your and yourself and trust in Jesus as your savior and lord?" To Luke's surprise, with 10 other people at the table looking on, the manager said, "Yes." And that night, he became a follower of Christ. You see, because we have been adopted by God into his family as sons, our priorities are different. You see, business for Luke didn't come first anymore. The gospel did. His job became a platform in which he could preach the gospel. You see, we become all things to all people because we care more about the souls of others than about our comfort or our reputation or about our bottom line. So one way that we act as sons is that we share the gospel with others by becoming uh, like them. But because we are now sons and no longer slaves, we should also desire to see Christ formed in the lives of others. You see, Paul cared more about the Galatians than he did about himself. 
The Judaizers who he was railing against in the book of Galatians here, they cared more about themselves than they did about the Galatians. For Paul, life was decidedly different following his conversion, as we've already said. He didn't return to his former ways. And what were his former ways? Trying to destroy Christianity. He was trying to stamp it out. Instead, now his life was marked by these phrases. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. You see, Paul desired to see Christ formed in all people. And he gave his life for the spread of the gospel. And he desired so deeply that the Galatians would also be formed into the image of Christ. And he was not like the Judaizers who cared about themselves. You see, they wanted to look, uh, appear that they were better than they were. They wanted the Galatians to look highly on them rather than being concerned about the situation or the, the status of the Galatians. As we read in verse 17, Paul says, They, as in the Judaizers, make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. So in all our relationships, we should desire like Paul did for the other person to be formed in Christ, whether it's our spouse, our children, our co-workers, our friends. As spouses, we need to be focused on our spiritual, uh, on the spiritual life of our spouses so that the Christ can be formed in them. We need to read our Bible and pray together. We need to confess our sins to one another as hard as that is. And to honestly forgive each other, we need to encourage one another and place the other person's spiritual formation as primary. In children, we need to display Christian character to them. And we need to do family devotions. And I can attest, this is a hard thing to do. Stephanie and I, for the first time this past week, every morning we're able to do family devotions. That has not happened in seven years of our marriage. Um, and um, it was... It is hard, but it is worth the effort. Uh, we need to repent in front of our children and ask them for our forgiveness. We need to instill in them a love for God's word so that they will see what is most important, not the activities and the busyness of this world, but Christ and the gospel. In our friends, in relationships with friends and our co-workers, we need to be more concerned about Christ being formed in them than about what they think of us. We need to care more about what they believe about God than what they think of us. Because what's more important, whether or not they think that we are cool, if you're a middle school or high school student, or whether or not they know Jesus. So what we need to do in our lives is first of all believe the gospel. We've been hammering that the entire uh, series on Galatians. The importance is to believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not about works, it's about faith. And we need to live then, therefore, as a child of God. We need to continue to repent and believe this gospel, that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins, that we don't have to work to earn God's favor, instead we have it through faith in Christ. Not only do we have his favor, but we are sons, and he is our father. 
but let's be honest. Um, I'm going to be honest about myself. Uh, we're not really that great as living out at living out our adoption as sons. And there's two traps that we usually fall into. And Jesus actually described these two traps in one of his most famous parables. And we're going to conclude with this. One of the traps that we usually fall into is an obvious one. And one of them is subtle. And these are portrayed in the parable of the prodigal son. Now, it's called the parable of the prodigal son, but in reality, it probably should be named the two sons, or the parable of the two sons, because two sons are contrasted here. You see, you have the younger brother who turns his back on his father and demands his inheritance while his father is still alive, basically saying to his father, I wish you were dead, and I want your money. I I don't want you. I can't imagine one of my sons saying that to me. How heartbreaking that would be. Out of love, the father gives it to him, and the son proceeds to squander his wealth on obvious sinful activity. The money runs out, and he comes to the end of his rope. The only job he can find is feeding pigs, and he is literally so hungry that he wishes to eat the food that he is serving the pigs. He wishes that he could eat the slop that he is feeding to them. And suddenly, he has this great realization. Wait a minute. My father, even a servant in my father's household, uh, is better taken care of than I am right now. Maybe he will take me back. If I was living at home with my father, things would be different. They would not be this way. So he practices his repentance speech. says, Father, I have sinned. And you know how the story goes. Even when the son is a long way off, the father sees him. And he runs to him. Rejoicing that his son is finally back home. He was dead, but now he is alive. And he throws a party for him. He kills the fattened calf, and there is rejoicing in the household. The son repents of his obvious sins, and he is welcomed back into the household with love and forgiveness. Now, the older brother is a different story. Day in and day out, he consistently serves his father. He is Mr. Dependable. He is always there doing exactly, exactly what he should be doing. And when he hears this commotion of the party for his long-lost brother, he inquires as to what is going on. And when he is told that his brother is back and that his dad is throwing him a party, he is beyond upset. He is indignant. He refuses to go into the party. And his father comes to him trying to explain to him what is going on. You see, he was dead, but now he's alive. He's back. We need to rejoice. But instead of rejoicing, the older brother complains. He said, I've worked for you all these years. And what do I have? You have never once thrown me a party. Never once given me anything that I could celebrate with my friends. The father responds to him, son, all that I have is yours. 
all of it. But I needed to do this because your brother was lost and now he is found. And at this point, the parable ends. We don't necessarily know what happens to the older brother. You see, when we stop acting in line with our adoption into Christ, we typically act like one of these two sons, either the prodigal or the older brother. Both sons are not acting in line with their sonship, but one is acting more dangerous than the other. Excuse me. But each one is acting in a very dangerous way. You see, while the prodigal is off, his sin is very obvious. While the brother, the older brother is at home, his sin is subtle, but it is marked with self-righteousness and works righteousness. You see, his sin is just as dangerous as the prodigal. I believe that the danger we face is not necessarily becoming like the prodigal. Our tendency is to become more like the older brother. Our tendency is to have these sins that are subtle. It seems like we're living a holy life of obedience, but in reality we have no relationship with our Heavenly Father. We don't really care about Him or love Him. In truth, we are concerned about ourselves. We will do our, dirt, our, dirt, our duty, but we won't enter into relationship with the Father. And according to Jesus' parable, only one son ended the day in relationship with his father. As far as we know, the older brother never went into the party. We don't know what happened to him. But we do know that the prodigal son repented and the father accepted him in. As far as we know, the older brother held on to his sin and was left outside to wallow in his pride and in his anger. You see, we never see the older son repenting. He feels like he deserves his father's favor because of the work that he has done. And he ends the parable outside of relationship with his father. Let us not be like the older brother. I'm not saying that we need to be like the prodigal. <laughs> but we do need to be like him in this way, that we need to continually repent of our sin we need to ask for forgiveness because we can come before a great God who is the fountain of forgiveness because of Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection. So let us not be like the older brother. Let us continue to live as sons as Paul implores us here in Galatians chapter 4. Let us continue to repent of our sins. Let us continue to believe the gospel clinging to the cross of Christ for our salvation. Let us live as sons believing that we are forgiven and that God rejoices over us. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven. Lord, we admit that too often we do not live as sons. We do not live as if we have been adopted by you into your family. We live like we are slaves and orphans. We act like we uh, don't have your love. Lord, we act like we need to earn your favor. I pray that we would run to you like the prodigal, 
that we would return to you and ask for your forgiveness because we know that you are running after us. That the love for that you have for us is great and it is deep and you long to see us. Father, I pray that we would live lives of repentance and believing the gospel. Not for our sake, but for your glory, for the advancement of your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.